You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, it's good to be together. My name is Dean. Thanks for coming to Church in the Rain. If God had favorites, it'd be you, uh, just so you know. Uh, but he doesn't, so nice try. Uh, but it's good to be together. We're going to start a series today called Regifting, uh, where in our culture, regifting has a negative connotation. It's like somebody gives you a present, you don't like it. You think of all the folks you're obligated to give gifts to, so you rewrap it and you know, give it to somebody else. Uh, but for the Christian, uh, we are called to re-gift the good gift that God has given us of our salvation. Not that we can save people, but the sharing and the telling of the good news is part of what we do as Christians in re-gifting uh, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into the first week of this series. Uh, thankful that our Christmas Eve's coming up. Always a favorite of many people here. Uh, so we'd love to have you here Christmas Eve. What a great opportunity to bring your family. Uh, to invite friends who might be open to coming this time of year, uh, who already are singing Christmas songs, who have a nativity scene on their mantle, but might not even know Jesus. What an opportunity uh, to invite them to Christmas Eve and bring them with you and make plans around that. Uh, it's a great opportunity we have to re-gift the gospel through the Christmas story. Uh, before I pray, I also want to update you on something pretty exciting. Uh, our church plant in London, Redeemer Church of Queen's Park, uh, they have a carol service they've started, uh, which resonates pretty well in the British culture where they live. And in Queen's Park, it's a brand new church plant, two years old, and they meet on Saturday afternoons. And they had a carols and candlelight service yesterday, which is a chance for them to really kind of do the best they could to reach their neighborhood and had over 200 people show up for it. Isn't that really neat? Yeah, and they're singing carols, they're, uh, they're, they're, they did a kind of traditional candlelight service and they shared the good news of Jesus. So we're going to hope and pray that God just keeps blessing that work and we see more people come. It's a, sec- it's a secular area and not just secular, there's some religion as well. Uh, there's more Muslims than Christians in the area. Uh, where we planted that church. So we want to be praying for God to make the love of his, uh, the love that comes to understanding his son and his son's death and resurrection known to that whole community uh, through this church. So let's pray together and we will jump in. Our Father, we are grateful for your grace, for your love for us. How amazing to even, constant, even grasp the fact that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We're thankful for the work in Rede- of Redeemer Church in Queens Park. So we pray for Thomas West and for Ashlyn and all those who are on the ground there that you keep using them for your glory and to make the good news known. Lord, we ask you the enemy out of this place today, that this Christmas season, that through all the churches who preach the good news in Tallahassee, that you'll use all of them, all of us, uh, to point people to Christ so they can understand Christmas in the context of the story of your love for your people uh, by sending a Redeemer to reconcile us to yourself. What an awesome thing to know, an awesome thing to understand. So open people's eyes in Tallahassee and around the world to who Jesus is and what he's done for us. As you speak through me this morning, and I ask all in the name of Jesus, amen. So re-gifting again, negative connotation. One time Chrissy and I got a gift from someone and it was a book. I was like, oh, this is nice. And opened the cover and saw some writing in it. And I was like, oh, wow, like an autographed copy from the author. That's pretty neat. And it actually was someone said like, you know, dear Patty or, or dear, you know, Lucy, uh, I'm so glad we're friends. Like, Merry Christmas. Like, you know, 12, 24, like 2015. We were like, oh, they re-gifted this to us, right? That's the kind of thing you cringe a little bit. And then that person's embarrassed if you find out. But for Christians, we are in the re-gifting faith. And we're told this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15. Thanks be to God, Paul says to the church, for his indescribable gift. That God has given a good gift that's indescribable. We can't even fully fathom it in our salvation. And we thank God for that. He is the gift giver. And the ultimate gift he has given us is our salvation. And we thank him for it. We praise him for it. We worship him uh, for what he's done for us. For who he is as our God and what he's done for us in giving us uh, this indescribable gift. 
So as Christians, that's our posture now, is we're a grateful people who are thanking God for his good gifts to us, and we want to re-gift that to the world uh, so they can hear and understand the good news. But what I want to talk about this morning is there's some other things, implications that come with that gift. Yes, God has given us our salvation. And you picture a present right up here on stage. In that box is the great gift, figuratively speaking. There's also other gifts in there that our salvation drives out of our lives and helps us to make much of his name in this world. So what we're going to talk about today is why I think it's really important and really critical, and that's us re-gifting happiness. Re-gifting happiness, and you could also say joy. We have received joy from our salvation, joy by knowing God, and now we're called to re-gift that to other people. My friend Josh Howerton, who's a pastor in Dallas, he keeps saying this regularly and is convinced by it, that no longer are most people on a truth quest. It's no longer what is true. Is there a God? Is he real? How can we trust the Bible? Trust me, that still exists, and he believes that exists as well. But so often apologetics, which is like a defense of the faith, was always, well, how is the Bible reliable? Well, let me show you historically how the Bible is reliable, and we've had those conversations. That's really important, and Christians are called in the scriptures to always give an answer for the hope that we have. This stuff really matters. That's not the main thing that's happening today. It's not, how do you know Jesus rose from the grave? Prove it. Well, I can't literally prove it, but I can give you lots of evidence of why we can trust historically that Jesus rose from the grave. He said, people aren't on a truth quest anymore. People are on a happiness quest. Not a truth quest, but a happiness quest. It's not, is there a God, but if there is a God, is he good? It's not, how can I find truth? It's how can I, in the moment, right now, make sure that I am happy? And the messaging is everywhere. How many places do you go to, you walk in the door, do more of what makes you happy? That's the value. That's the push. That's the mission. That's the idea. And we have people now who are on a search, who are on a quest to find that happiness. So our apologetic now, yes, we still need to say, here's why we can trust the Bible. Here's why I believe in the virgin birth. But yes, yes, yes to all of those things. But maybe the new cultural apologetic is to help people actually find the happiness they're desperately craving. Matt Smethurst says this, it may sound somewhat strange, but God is happy. Our God is a happy God. Maybe that's not your view of him. Maybe you've seen God as a curmudgeon or in a black robe judging you. No, our God is a happy God. He's happier, in fact, than the happiest person you've ever known. His gladness. It stretches back in time before the beginning of the beginning of how we even fathom existence in time. Where the Trinity exists, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and they contained in that love and relationship and is delighted to share that joy of divinity with one another. So a great question to ask, which could be an apologetic question, is why did God create the universe? Like, what was the point? Was he bored? Was football season over? He had to find something else to do? Like, like what, why? Was it because he wanted to have some people who just sort of followed him and listened to him? Was it some sort of ego thing? Was he lacking something? Was God incomplete? Is that why he created the world? Here's the real story. The creation of the world was an explosion of joy. An explosion of joy. That God created the world out of and for joy, a full spilling out of his joy 
that he is contained in, that contains in him, I should say. So think about us for a moment. Just try to process this. Yes, God created the mountains and the beaches and the hills and the countrysides and all the things we love about his creation, but he also created us. He created men and women, male and female, you and me in his image as an overflow of his joy. So the same God who gave us the Bible, his words, and the scriptures is the same God we're told that knit you together in your mother's womb, that made you in his image, and he has created you to be happy in a happy God. To be happy in a happy God. Where we get messed up sometimes is we just leave it there, that God has created us to be happy, period. And that's the end of the story. So then we think whatever we need to do to make ourselves happy in the moment, if it's leave her, leave him, move, do something different, try this, use that, we think that God's okay with that because ultimately he just wants us to be what? Happy. And you'd be shocked in an affluent Western first world society how many Christians just leave it at that with a period at the end, that God created us to be happy And as a result, they're not atheists or agnostics, but they're still miserable. They think God's existence is to fuel their happiness in the moment. But when we keep the sentence going and say that God has created us to be happy in a happy God, that happiness is not something he frowns upon or tells us not to pursue, but he wants us to pursue it in him, it changes the story. But as we read the story of the scriptures, this existed in chapters one and two in Genesis. That these people were happy, Adam and Eve. They had a relationship with God. They could flourish unhindered in the Garden of Eden. There was no death. There was no sad story. There was no bad phone call. There was no breakup. There was no divorce. There was no abuse. There was no racism. We could go on and on. None of those things existed. But that happy time, or we could say a kind of a happily ever after, that we see present in Genesis 1 and 2, it did not last very long. In fact, it was very short-lived. Where Adam and Eve said, God created us to be happy. Yes, we're happy in God, but there's this fruit on this tree that God tells us he doesn't want us to eat. Now, we have everything else to enjoy, all of God's good good gifts. Like, we're happy in him, but not fully happy. He's holding out on us. I think there's more to be gained by disobeying God than obeying him in this moment. I got to go around him for the happiness and the joy I'm looking for. So I'm going to rebel against God and not listen to him. I'm not going to find my happiness in him. I'm going to find my happiness temporarily in what I think he's withholding from me and take that fruit from that tree. And it may sound like an innocent mistake to us at first, but these are people rebelling against their creator, telling the holy God of the universe, no, I don't want what you have for me. I want what I have for me, what I want for me. So as a result, our relationship with God was, was broken forever. So not only are we born sinners, we prove that's true by going on and sinning ourselves. So that Genesis 1 and 2 story had a very quick, abrupt, short-lived status of people actually finding their happiness in God. And that broken reminder of this broken world we're now in as a result of being banned from God's presence, being kicked out of the garden, it's present throughout the Old Testament. People have to go through the systems and go through a priest to get to God rather than pray to God themselves. There's a sacrificial system when others are having their sins forgiven. They have to bring their sheep, their goat, their pigeon and take it to the priest one day out of the year and offer it as a sacrifice, a blood atonement for their sins to have their sins covered for a little while. 
but not ultimately forgiven. So time after time, we're reminded since then of the broken world we live in as a result of people saying, I don't want to be happy in God, I want to be happy in God's stuff instead. But thankfully, there's the Christmas story for us. We could say the rest of the Bible is the story of God redeeming a broken and rebellious people to himself, reconciling us to him. In Luke 2, we see the angels appear in the shepherds at night, to the shepherd field at night. And we see this, the angels said to them, a messenger from God here, don't be afraid. Now for them, the context was they're out at night and the skies open up and there's an angel, so of course they're gonna be scared. So the angel's comforting them. But how many of us are afraid still today? We're afraid of this world. We're afraid of what might pe- people might think about us. We're afraid that we're not enough. We're afraid we don't measure up. We're afraid that maybe we haven't done enough for God. And here the angels are giving that announcement. Don't be afraid. For look, as in lock in, pay attention. I proclaim, I'm telling, I'm preaching, I'm declaring something to you, good news. That in a bad news world, I'm about to tell you something good, of great joy, that's gonna produce something in you that will be for all the people. And he would tell these shepherds who were reminded all the time of their brokenness and how they were left out of the religious systems because they weren't high class religious elite society enough to even participate in the sacrificial systems, yet they were charged with raising the sheep that would then be used for the sacrifices. So time and time again, they're reminded of this broken world, and maybe it seemed like God had forgotten about them. And here the angels show up and tell them, here's what God wants you to know. See, Jesus, that baby who was born, who would grow up and live a perfect life, we didn't live. Die a death that we deserve for our rebellion against God. Rose from the grave three days later, settling it once and for all, that he was the one he claimed to be, and that he has the victory over death. Jesus brings us back to joy. Jesus brings us back to a glimpse of the side of heaven, of what the Garden of Eden looks like, to have a relationship with God. And we could say that joy is aggressive. Joy has teeth to it. Joy is tenacious. It fights. It's not a feeling or a mood. It's a lifestyle of hope that grabs on and holds on as tight as possible to the promises of God that we know through the scriptures. Where God tells us that he's the one who holds on to us. That in John chapter 10, that no one can take the sheep out of his hands. We hold even tighter to that. We grip on like I'm holding this podium right here. We hold on to God's promises, to his truth, and we're stubborn in our hope. We're stubborn in our faith. We're stubborn in our belief that our God is working all things together for our good and that he keeps his promises to us. Psalm 105, verse four. This is active here. Seek the Lord. That's an active posture. It's not a wait. Even though there are times we wait on the Lord. Seek the Lord when it comes to our joy. And not just seek him, but what do we seek? We seek his strength. That's the opposite of the world's messaging, which tells you that you're strong, that you can do it, that it's about your strength. And here the psalmist says, no, seek God. Seek after him, his strength. Seek his face always. as that's always our solution, to actively seek after God. But what does that mean? It means who God is. It means his character. It means his promises. It means your relationship with him. Gregory the Great, uh, the early church father, 
you know your big deal when your last name's great and your middle name's the, uh, said this, we are changed into the one we see. So as we're seeking the Lord, as we're seeking Christ, God's doing something in us that's making us more like Jesus. As we seek him, we become more like him, and then our desires for ourselves to achieve happiness align with what he desires for his people to be more like Jesus. So we seek God, and as we seek God, we become more like Christ, which means our hearts continue to grow to be a heart after his own. John Piper says, if seeing glory, the glory of God doesn't lead us to savoring God, to savoring him, then it fails. We want to savor God as we seek God. Psalm 126, verse 3, the Lord has done great things for us. He's looking backwards to the works of God on behalf of the people of Israel, delivering them from their enemies, giving them the land, fulfilling his promises to Abraham to make a people for himself. And he says, when we think about those things, you know what happens? We're, we were joyful. It did something in our hearts. It did something in our lives. And there's a strong contrast here between unbelievers and believers when it comes to happiness and to joy. And this is why I believe we have an incredible opportunity to re-gift the idea of a true Christ-centered happiness to the world and to our community. And that's this. While unbelievers hope for happiness from the world, that's their hope. It's the only option in their eyes. Happiness has to come through the world. Believers, those who are in Christ who know Jesus, we hope for happiness in the world as we enjoy God's good gifts to us. So we're not trying to draw happiness from the world. We're trying to have happiness in the world with grateful hearts as we enjoy God's good gifts and his favor over us as his people. So unbelievers, happiness only from the world. Believers want happiness in the world, but not just any world, God's world. In God's world. So we believe he actually is the source of all of these things. And in finding happiness in this world, we realize this world is not all as it's cracked up to be and long for another world to come. It really does seem like everyone longs for happiness, especially in our culture today, where we live in our era. And I think it's a mistake to try to tell people to not seek happiness, uh, to maybe repress a desire to be joyful, to be happy. I don't think it's a problem to want happiness. Again, we serve a happy God, and we're his people. It's that the world has perverted happiness and made a God out of it. And again, believes that we are just simply created to be happy, period. Taking God out of the equation outside of sprinkling some Bible verses on top of it to make us feel better about our pursuit for what we want. It's not a problem to be happy. It's that the world's perverted happiness and has totally made a God out of it. Some folks say, well, joy and happiness are different. That uh, you know, happiness is based on circumstances and joy is not based on circumstances. And I think there's truth to that, but I like to put the words together. I, I really do. Because our happiness as Christians is based on circumstances. Our circumstances spiritually that we have in Christ. The reason why we can pursue happiness in this world that's not our own is because we have been reconciled to God. We've been adopted into his family. We have the Father's love. We've been forgiven of our sins. That he's ever present in our time of need. We can have peace with God. Like those are our circumstances ultimately as Christians. 
So we're happy because of that, because of what Christ has done. It doesn't mean we fake it. It doesn't mean we don't grieve and have real emotions and real pain in our lives. But in that pain, we're reminded regularly that God is absolutely 100% always with us and always keeps his promises, and we hang on to it. We grip on to that truth and those ideas. Maybe the problem is that we're just maybe too easily satisfied. And that's why we've messed up happiness. That I think that people who long for satisfaction need to make sure they're not seeking it and things aren't ultimately for the long term going to deliver. I heard someone say, I think maybe in a conversation with some pastors, I don't remember exactly when it was, but that one of the reasons why we see so much despair and and unhappiness and just kind of chronic discontentment today is that people's expectations are too high for this world. And that's kind of newer for most recent generations. Their expectation for this world is like this 10 out of 10 for a world that was never designed to actually be our home and deliver on everything we needed. So because we expect so much from this world to fill us, to make us happy, to put a smile on our face, make us feel wanted, needed, included, like we matter, that we've raised a bar that shouldn't exist, but that we seek after regularly. Here's what Jesus said. So he just got done teaching his disciples And he says, let's summarize. I've told you these things. I said, let's land the plane on the teaching part. Why? So you can be smarter? Have more Bible knowledge? Be more spiritual? Well, those are all components. Now, I've told you these things you may, that my joy may be in you. I want you to have joy. So I'm teaching you these things so you can carry it. And not just that, I'm not giving you like a little tenth of a cup of joy. I want to be complete. I want to be complete in your life. And our joy comes from understanding what Jesus has accomplished and still working in us. Steve Bateman says this, hope, that rule gets thrown around a lot during Christmas time, hope is the fact-based conviction. Not the feelings-based Not, that's true for you, but it might not be true for me. The fact-based conviction, we believe in facts as Christians, that Jesus is alive, that he has risen from the grave, that no matter how bad things are now, no matter how bad, they'll get better. No matter how bad things are right now, in this world, in your own life, on the news, on your social media feed, in your friend group, and your family, they'll get better. And again, here's where we get sidetracked. I believe that, that, I believe that is 100% true, that quote. And I think what he's saying is really summarizing the story of the Bible. That God has promised that one day he'll make all things new. Things will get better. But where we get in trouble and get off track and wind up being disappointed with God or with others is that we are all for that, but we think it means here and now that all things are gonna get better tomorrow, or next week, or when I need them to, or maybe five years from now, and that's not what we're promised. We're not promised our circumstances are gonna get better here. I will never lie to you as a pastor and give you this prosperity gospel. If you just believe this and do that and give this, then you'll be happier and things will work out. That's not what the scriptures tell us. Scriptures tell us that one day, one day, it will get better because Jesus will return The return of Christ is an essential Christian doctrine. He told us he's going to prepare a place one day we'll come back. 
And in that coming back, he really will make all things new. And all the things that hurt you now, all the things that cause pain or have caused you pain, all the brokenness we see in our world post-Genesis chapter three, where sin entered the world, it's all gonna be gone. He even tells us radical things, like every tear is gonna be wiped away from our eyes. Like it will get better. Does that mean I check out here on earth? No. It means while I'm here on earth, I believe God has me here for this reason at this time and knows the number of our days and we trust him with that. And how we get from here to there is not being a fatalist going, man, a fatalist is like when you fall down the stairs and you say, God, thank you, that's over. You know, that kind of thing. Just kind of everything's doom and gloom, everything's by fate. No, that's not how we live our lives. We hold on to the promises of God and want to flourish here as much as we possibly can, not from the world, but in the world for his glory and for his name. As I think it's important, and this is going to sound harsh at first, but it really is just, a, it's like Christianity 101, like meat and potatoes. For the unbeliever, for the person who does not know Jesus, who doesn't repent of their sins and turn to Christ, this world's idea of happiness and joy is the closest he'll ever get to heaven. Closest he'll ever get, closest she will ever get to heaven is this world's joys. So what a disservice we're doing when we fuel the idea that this is the best of the best. That the, this is what life is all about. But for the believer, for the person who's in Christ, who has been forgiven of their sins, this world's sorrow and pain and disappointments is the closest you'll ever get to hell. Ever. For the unbeliever, this world is as close as you'll ever get to heaven. But for the Christian, this world is as close as you'll ever get to hell, and you have to remind yourself of that regularly and have an eternal perspective that God is doing something, that he hasn't forgotten about you. And as a result of that, I still can be happy. I still can have joy. When you maybe have been with someone in a relationship, like friendship, or walk with someone who is uh, in the process of dying of a terminal disease, or has had just unthinkable things happen that are so painful, if it's miscarriages, if it's abuse, if it's you know, a divorce they didn't want, rebellious children that are they're now are adults and are far from the Lord and hurt them regularly, we just go on and on and on. I mean, if, if, you know, job loss, and there's just so many things in this world that affect different people in different ways. Maybe you've been treated with, with you know, maybe you've been treated with racist, you know, being, had racism against you before. I mean, you just go on and on about the things. And they're not happy about it, but they're still happy and joyful in Christ. You know those kind of people? And again, they're not faking it. They're not trying to pretend like everything's okay, but like they still can sing and believe the joy of the Lord is their strength. You know, they still can proclaim the good news of God in their life. They're still part of the church family. They're still holding on to the promises of God. You think about the impact that has on so many people. You know what they're doing? Without maybe even realizing it sometimes, is they're regifting the hope that they have. And it, and it blesses the church believers. Think about the testimony it has to the outside world when you can forgive when someone's wronged you. When you can show love to someone who has not proven themselves by an earthly standard to be lovable. Where you can still praise the name of God and go to church on Sunday morning when these three things have happened in your life that have caused you great pain. You're not masking the pain. You're clinging on to hope.
hope that's found in Christ. And that word happy is actually a biblical word. Um, we, oftentimes, uh, how we understand a word, the word might not have existed uh, back in Bible times. So it's like an English word that came later that gives understanding of something. Uh, so the word blessed is very common in the Bible, where Jesus talked about blessed is the person who does this. Uh, blessed is the person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. They'll be filled. That word blessed can be easily translated in our English language to be happy. Like happy is the person who receives their spiritual food from God rather than try to eat on the figurative food of the world. Jesus told the woman at the well, if you drink from this, well, this water, you'll be thirsty again. You're gonna have to come back. What he was referring to was not just literal physical water, the fact that she'd already been with five husbands and now the person she's living with was not her husband. And he's like, can we talk for a minute? There's gonna be a sixth one and a seventh one. Like, you're gonna keep being thirsty. But happy are you if you drink from me spiritually. And there's songs written about all these things, looking for love in all the wrong places. You know, Mick Jagger, I can't get no satisfaction. I mean, on and on and on. Because the world's desperately searching for something. And guess what? We have the answer. And his name is Jesus. And if you don't do that, then if you don't look to Christ for those things, then bitterness, envy, disappointment's gonna rule in your life. And then envy and joy, they can't coexist. And you think everybody else is the problem, when well, maybe it's you. So there's kind of an application question to take home. Here, here it is. Let's put it on the screen. And, and what creative thing has your heart been seeking peace? My heart, your heart, not someone else's, you. What creative thing has your heart been seeking peace? On what object, what thing of this world have you been looking for satisfaction? And is it ultimately working? Just go pragmatic for a minute. Is it working? Maybe for a minute. I always compare it to juicy fruit gum. I've told it a hundred times at our church. You put juicy, juicy fruit gum, yellow package in your mouth, not the package, but the gum, and it's like the best three seconds of gum ever, and then the flavor's gone. It's like the best gum for three seconds. And that's, that's our world. Yes, it can quench the thirst for a minute, then you gotta put another piece of gum in your mouth. Move to another thing. And this is not new. The book of Romans indicts the human race and says rather than worshiping God, we said God, no thanks, and made an exchange and worshiped created things instead of the creator. And that's what makes us guilty before God. So that sin at the core is a worship issue. So then God, thankfully, in his grace, made an exchange of his own. And when that announcement was made to the shepherds, it was to let them know that the Messiah that had been promised and foreshadowed forever was coming and that God would exchange our sin for his righteousness and make us new. Sam Alberry, who's a friend, pastor in Nashville, is British, was in London. He wrote this, that Christmas is for the weary, for the messed up, for the broken. If your life isn't Instagrammable, that's a word, Christmas is for you. And I really appreciate that, and I resonate with I think that's 100% true, but I mean, Sam's a lot smarter than I am, but I'm going to add to this. And I agree with him. Now, he'd agree with what I'm about to say. 
Yes, that's true. But if your life is very Instagrammable, Christmas is just as much for you. Because how often are the folks who are promoting and editing and pushing something out there about them regularly and trying to create a perfect world for you to see are the people who actually are the most weary, who are the most miserable, who are thirst, dying of thirst that they're hoping this world can achieve for them. Well, here's the good news. Christmas is for you too. It's for you as well. Because you're weary with just a nice costume in front of it. Right? So what do we have? A, a message of condemnation for folks? You shouldn't try to be happy. No, no, no. You were created to be happy in a happy God. And that, what that looks like is not your job to create the God that aligns with you. But for you, because the grace of God in your life and your awareness of who he is and what he's done now align your life with his. And we're told when that happens, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Because your desires be linked to his desires. So people say things like, well, you shouldn't find happiness or joy or, you know, in, in, your, in your family or in your friendships or, I'm like, I, I, just, I, I disagree with that. I think those are great things to find joy and love and happiness in if you believe those things are gifts from God. And it causes you to give praise to God rather than praise to this world. And they're really good things that God can create in us for worship of him as long as we don't find our peace, P-E-A-C-E, in those things. Because they're never created to give us peace. They were created to give us joy and happiness in a happy God. And if those things have not turned out like you thought they would, I just know that Jesus has compassion for his people. He never tells us in the Bible to suck it up or move on or get over it. He tells us he's with us. He's with us. And that the fact that he's with us can produce in us a happiness slash joy because of our circumstances we have as Christians, which is that the God who created the universe is the God who knows us by name and loves us and cares for us and is with us and one day is going to come again and make all things new. That's why we call the gospel good news. So the angels told the shepherds, listen up. Bad news everywhere, I got good news of great joy for all people and it's found in a person his name is Jesus Christ. Let's re-gift that to others, especially this time of year where it really is teed up for us to be able to do so. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that you are a happy God. You're not a curmudgeon, that you are a joyful God, and you take great joy in the people that you've created. What an amazing thing to think about. You take joy and you delight in us. So let us delight in you. Forgive us when we want to delight in so many other things or we delight in things that don't produce an awareness of you're the one who's given us the things to delight in. The gifts, family, friendships, a church. Lord, I'm thankful that nothing can take away your love for us. Not sickness, not disease, not hardship, not pain. But that your love is always, always for us. So Lord, let us, I ask, our church will feel that love. So the people in this room, myself included, think about Jesus, they will feel the love of God. And that it won't make sense to the world because it's so different than how the world sees happiness. 
you'll allow us the opportunities and set up the moments for us to be able to share and point people outside of us to where our joy is actually found. So if we're gonna do more of what makes us happy, God, forgive us when that's not understood ultimately in you, in your name, in your work, and your good gifts. Let us be people who are about your agenda under your word and not our own. Forgive us and we're so foolish. Help us to see with new eyes, new heart, ears open, mind open to know who you are and what you've done and remind ourselves of it regularly. We thank you for Jesus. Let us find our happiness in you. And it's in his name we ask this. Amen. Let's stand together.